it's fiercely working on the business so that you have systems and procedures in place so that your team know what to do, are doing what they need to do and are growing the business without you. And it's about you ensuring that the whole wheel is turning without you there from afar. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. I would love to start learning about your experience, where you started and how you came to be this cash flow genius. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mickey. Thanks for having me. So where did I start? Well, I studied pharmacy in pharmacy school back in Melbourne, Australia. And like most graduates, I kind of went overseas for a little while. I came back and then I really decided, you know, I don't want to be you know, mucking around and, and doing all sorts of things. I really want to get into business. So I managed to hustle my way into a business, uh, which was great. And I had two older partners uh, that I bought into a business with. But the funny thing was, when I got into business, I was like, now what? Because, you know, in pharmacy school, they don't teach you how to run a business. They don't teach you how to grow a business. Like you're, you know, you're a scientist and you're dealing with patients. So when I got my first business, I was super keen on expanding and growing and, you know, I was young, I wanted to make money, I was 27 years old. So uh, I was really fortunate in that I found a really good business coach and I found some really, really good mentors. So with the help of those, um, we were able to sort of buy and sell pharmacies. And, you know, we grew the group to about three or four pharmacies within a short space of time. And, um, you know, midway through, we decided to go our own separate ways and, you um, I, you know, I had a shop on my own, which I sold, you know, in during the pandemic last year. Um, it was a large pharmacy business. And then we decided to like do a change and we left Australia to come to Germany. You know, the, the first thing that really kind of sparked my excitement was your mention that you started off finding a business coach and learning about running a business because I can tell you when I first started my business, I did not do that thing, right? I got in and assumed that because I knew how to provide the service and work in the business that everything else would sort itself out. But let me um, maybe shock the world. It didn't work, right? <laughs> it yeah. doesn't happen that way. So I would love to know a little bit more about um, how you looked for a business coach, what you looked for, um, and, and maybe if there were any big nuggets or things that you learned. Oh my God. So essentially it sounds like you were a lot more patient than me. I was just really um, excited and ready to go. And really, I just really wanted to rock and roll and get everything happening. So it was out of impatience really uh, that I sought some help. So, you know, this was um, 2006 ish, right? Thereabouts. Um, so basically I just Googled business coach and I was aware of, um, you know, uh, the e-myth, Michael Gerber, and all that kind of thing. Um, so really, the first business coach that came up on Google, I thought if this guy can rank number one on Google, he's got to be worth speaking to. So I rang him. His name is Casey Golan. He has been 
one of the major influences in my business building career. And um, the great thing about Casey was we had very similar personalities. We were really relaxed, you know, um, he, he was really approachable and friendly. And we had a quick conversation on the phone um, and it basically just led from there. That's amazing. And, you know, I think sometimes we're nervous or afraid um, when hiring a business coach, thinking they're going to be this, like, maybe this great God of business above us who's going to teach us all the things. But then all of a sudden you meet a business coach and you're like, oh, you're kind of just like me, but a little bit further along. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's the key is, you know, when you're working with a coach or when you're working with a mentor, really, if there's no synergy between the personalities, it makes it really difficult for you know, for me, the person that's getting coached, because, you know, I will be maybe constantly, and if this has happened to me, constantly sort of questioning what the coach is saying. And also, if you're a coach as well, like how I am now, and then working with clients, you know, you don't want that extra friction. So you you want to find someone that that gels with your personality, your interests, you know, just vibes with you properly, because only then you can do great things together, right? Oh, and you know that, I love that you said that, because it also applies to clients. Right. So when you're running a business, you don't want to work with everyone. I'm sorry. I need to break it to you. You want to attract people who are in alignment with you, your personality, the way that you provide service. I I love that you said that. Now, um, what I really want to dig into is business growth, but not just growth, because as I know, you know, um, revenue isn't king. But I would love to know your perspective on how we can start to identify if our business is on the right track when it's growing. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I think you touched on it there. Like revenue is a really, really good metric. Uh, And it's unfortunately or fortunately, it's a metric that gets thrown uh, thrown around a lot now, especially in the startup community, right? We're all about revenue, revenue, growth, growth, growth. But really, if you're, and my specialty is retail business, um, and but this really applies to all businesses, uh, revenue is great, but what we're looking for is actually how much money or profit that we're actually going to bank in our bank account and effectively pay ourselves with. So that's one thing. And the other really uh, important metric that often gets lost is cash flow. And within the concept of cash flow, it's understanding the way the cash flows throughout business. Because I'm sure this has never happened to you or it's never happened to any other business owner. But for me, what was happening was, I was growing my businesses and, you know, turnover was up, revenue was up. My accountant's telling me, Alvin, you're doing a really, really good job. And then I would look in my bank account. I was like, where the hell's the money? Like, how am I going to pay my team? How am I going to pay suppliers? So that happened to me very, very early on. So I think the key factors that we need to be looking at are cash flow, how the cash is flowing through our business. So we can sort of pick up where the cash is getting sucked or eaten Um, And ultimately, making sure that we have a system for profit, because really, it's the profit, the money at the end of the day, that's going to be going towards ourselves, and of course, paying our team. And, uh, and and that's going to really fund um, the growth of our business. You know, I I hear um, a lot about profit, and we'll definitely touch on profit. But I want to start with cash flow, because I I really do think it's kind of the elephant in the room. Um, And I will say it definitely happened to me in my business you go, a lot of us go from a traditional corporate job where we're an employee. And so Mm -hmm. we just get a paycheck every month. 
And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to start a business and you expect to get a paycheck every month, but it doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden you start sweating and worrying and like, have I made a huge mistake? What's the problem? And I think a lot of us have these expectations that you're going to start a business and cash is going to flow. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know, first off, how we can start to track or maybe project cash flow, because sometimes I know for me, knowing when to expect cash was just not a thing. It was always a game. Yes, (laughs) Like, how much money am I going to have in my account this month? I'd love to know more on, on how you can start to look at those numbers. Yes. I think the biggest thing, the biggest mistake that all business owners, well, most business owners make with respect to cash flow is we definitely overcomplicated. So for me, it was like, I would never look at my cash flow. It was only when the accountant said, you know, here's your balance sheet and cash flow statement every quarter. It didn't really make sense to me. It was only when I started to run out of money really, and my business started growing really quickly. And I was like, where the hell's my cash? That I started to work with uh, a business coach. And so basically what we did was we just very simply started to track our cash flow. And I want to emphasize this simply in the beginning, it's just really a matter of on a weekly basis, which I think is super key for all businesses, um, understanding or tracking the cash that comes into our business, whatever goes out of our business and making sure that whatever is left over balances up with our bank account figure. So I think that's really important with the use of internet banking and online banking. It's really easy to just download your data enter it into a simple Google sheet or Excel spreadsheet. And I know you can use software like Xero and Myob online, which are really awesome. But I find as an owner, if you actually take that little bit of an extra step, it only takes five minutes just to physically type the numbers in and you can list the line item. Like, okay, I paid electricity this week of a hundred bucks. I paid the wages of the, just that whole process. It ends up like you're wearing x-ray goggles. It really just opens up your eyes. So that's the first thing, first part of your question, which I think is just to have a really simple system of tracking it. Once we track it, I think 12 weeks is the optimal sweet spot that I found. Once we've tracked our cash flow for 12 weeks, um, we can then start to forecast it because you can then base, you know, with a very high percentage accuracy, what's going to happen in the next 12 weeks. And then you can do all sorts of fun stuff. So you can say, for instance, okay, Uh, perhaps I'm going to buy a new piece of equipment this week, say a new laptop or a microphone or something, you know, that's capital intensive. And then you can see, okay, if I paid for that by cash now, how will that impact my cash flow in six weeks down the track? And then you can make intelligent decisions like, okay, perhaps I should get some funding for this, you know, get a, get a soft loan or a payment plan rather than injecting all my cash into, um, into purchase, into that purchase. And then when it gets really exciting is when you're a business owner, it's like, okay, there's extra cash in my bank account. How much can I take out for me and see how that impacts the business six to 12 weeks down the track. So that's, Mm. that's when it gets really fun. I love that you said 12 weeks because I know for myself, when I first started my business, I was, I was pretty diligent about tracking numbers. I didn't do it on a weekly basis. Let me tell you that I did monthly because that's when I did my bookkeeping, but it was better, nothing or better than nothing. Um, but what I found was I would, you know, do a month and think, okay, next month it's going to be the same. (laughs) No, that's not how it worked. So I I love that you gave that timeline. Now, when we're looking at those numbers and starting to Mm. project Mm. and as our business grows, one of the things I want to chat about, because 
I don't know about you, but as my business grew, my expenses exploded totally. right? for every new level that I was like, oh, I'm making more money. Where is it all going? Yeah. <laughs> is there a way that we can start to use this data as we grow our business too? hundred percent. So just by tracking it, and I think the forecasting becomes really, really good here when your expenses are going up, because what you do when you, you continue to track your cash flow, but then on that same, you open up another spreadsheet and you, and you start to enter that data for that week into your forecast sheet. And then you can also start, start to see in somewhat of a real time, what's going to happen later on down the track. So, you know, you record and say, whatever increased expense there is, you record that expense and then you'll get a little bit of a view into the future and then you can start to manage that, which is the key thing. So you can really start to understand whether I need to hustle to get some more um, business in or really if you've got some creditors that owe you money, you can start chasing them up. You can be a little bit more vigilant in controlling your expenses. Just, But the awareness in the first place is what really matters and you're not going to, you know, come to this shocking situation down the track and you realize where my money's gone. But the main thing is you can start acting on it now. Mm, yes. Yes. Track your cash flow. Track your yeah. cash flow. <laughs> yes. Yes. And weekly if possible. I know in some businesses it's hard. Um, I mean, I come from the retail space and in the retail industry, things change every week. And if you're a large turnover business with multiple um, SKU lines or, you know, multiple items that you're selling in the store, I feel, and it's seasonal to a certain extent, but I think all, most businesses are seasonal. You know, it's a good idea to do it weekly. And it's just, it's almost just like doing your homework. In the beginning, it might take you half an hour, but really once you get into a rhythm and you start to do it yourself, shouldn't take more than 10 minutes. And then certainly in a couple of months, I always recommend that we um, outsource that, give it to somebody else. But mm. you got to make sure you look at the data every week though. But the actual data entry, we outsource. But you got to do it first. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I love that advice for most areas of your business. Like, try it, get your fingers yes. in it, see what it is, see what it is, and then outsource before you just chuck things to other people. Because um, in my experience personally, like I outsourced stuff too early and realized that I wasn't able to manage it. I didn't know what my expectations should be or what the deliverables should be. Like, it was really tough. Um, and so now, yeah, I, I learned the hard way that I should probably play a little bit. <laughs> Before yes. and give it away. 100%. Mm -hmm. And as you know, when you're outsourcing things, it's really, it's really important to be as specific as you can. Mm. And so then when you communicate that in, in a standard operating procedure or some sort of procedure that you might have, a document that you might give to somebody else, you've covered 80 or 90% of the basis. So there are no icky surprises that are going to come up. And, you know, as you know, you know, with them um, doing so, you're going to be really, really descriptive and like it's really got to be a process of listing every single thing down um, but yeah yeah you know I, I always say when you write your SOPs write it for a five-year-old 100% because um, I've done that when I first wrote my SOPs I was worried that I was going to insult the person that I was giving them to <laughs> learn that's not the case yeah <laughs> Um, but you mentioned retail business and as a yes. service specialist, it's, it's always kind of been on the outskirts of my mind. I don't know a ton about retail. And so I would love to know a little bit more about yeah. what makes retail either special, different, or maybe the same as a service-based business. Yeah, sure thing. Okay. So I guess it really depends uh, on the kind of retail business versus the kind of service-based business. But traditionally, retail, we serve a lot more customers, depending on the industry that we're in. 
And we generally have a lot more products to sell or SKUs. So there's that whole, coupled with that, there's that whole inventory management, which we have to do as well. So it's that interplay of ensuring that we have enough stock to sell, not over over buying the stock. And just like every business, it's seasonal as well. So, you know, you're going to make sure that you try and guess the right amount of stock you can sell before it goes sort of off trend. Um, or in the pharmacy game, you know, we've, you've got hay fever season and cold and flu, and then you've got the summer that comes around. So it's just trying to make sure that you are able to um, sort of understand the different seasons of your business. And I think most businesses are like that, but that's the main thing. And of course, generally, we depending on, depending on your retail business, you tend to deal with a lot more personnel and in by no means a, a bad way I'm saying is probably less skilled personnel like, you know, in terms of their vocation and stuff. And depending on your business as well, you might be dealing with a lot of juniors um, as well, you know, so it just really depends. But they're the main differences with a retail business versus a service-based business. Now, I'm curious because obviously, like, I, I have zero, well, I, have, I worked mm-hmm. in someone else's retail business for a uh-huh. while, but I was on yeah. the floor. I was the, the low-skilled worker. Um, but yeah. I'm curious in terms of retail management, because for me, yeah. like, calendar management is the thing. It's how much yeah. space and capacity do I have or do my, do my does my team have to serve clients? But when we think of retail management, we were talking a little bit about outsourcing. Um, yes. And I'm curious, do you... Um, think it's important to outsource inventory management right off the bat, or is that something you want to start doing yourself? Um, Okay. So you want to start doing it yourself uh, within your business, but you want to get to the stage and every business is different. Every size is different, but you want to get to the stage where you've actually got software to help you manage it. Mm. I think that's really, really important because when it comes down to profitability, a lot of the um, fun situations in retail happens when For instance, we might get this particular product that comes in from the supplier and we're going to sell it in store. But for whatever reason, somebody hasn't put the cost price properly. Mm. And so the cost price might still be zero and we're selling it for $3, for instance. And uh, and, and so so we're thinking we're making all this money. Um, But data integrity is really important. So when you have this kind of retail management system, you need to ensure that prices are being uploaded correctly and someone's double checking that and the software is pulling the data correctly. So that's one of the finer nuances of retail management. I always, I, I feel like I'm like a little kid in a candy store. I'm like, oh, tell me more um, okay. because yeah. it feels like such a different world to me. And so, you know, you mentioned getting yourself in there, double checking those things on a regular basis. Um, when it comes to hiring staff, for mm. a retail business. I'm curious if there are any significant differences or things that we should be um, thinking about when we're starting to grow our team. 100%. So, you know, and I think this is the same for most businesses is to sort of put together a, um, like a hierarchy type chart and like an org chart, basically. Understand where you are as the owner and also start to fill out where you need your help and all, you know, start to list all the tasks that you're doing, whatever you can outsource. But I think step one is to have that org chart. So, you know, you've got you, the owner, depending on the size of your store, you may need a retail manager, you might need an inventory manager, and then the staff sort of trickle down from there. But I think the key thing is taking the time to map it out where you want your store to be in terms of yourself and your long-term vision so that eventually you can step away and replace your box with somebody else. 
you know, that segues so beautifully into kind of the next focus that I want to talk about with you um, that I know you have lots of expertise in because you've obviously sold businesses before. And a lot of us start our business because it's our passion. It's our baby. And we think, oh, I'll never sell. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden that day comes and surprises us. And we're like, oh, I should have set this up so I could sell. Yes. So uh, profitability, cash flow, all of these pieces all come into play. But I'd love to know your take, your perspective on what we can do to set our businesses up long-term so that we can eventually sell them. Absolutely. And so why is it important that we need to set it up that we want to sell? So you may not sell your business. You may not sell your business for a very long time, right? But I think the exercise or the practice that you need to go through to set your business up so it's ready for sale is awesome because it forces you to do all the hard work. So what do I mean? All right. So eventually you want to get to a stage where you set everything up so you're generating, usually in most industries, the sale price of your business is related to your earnings before interest and tax or your EBIT, right, in most industries. So basically all that means is you just need to make sure you're maximizing your profit. And so if you're trying to maximize your profit, you just start to work backwards. So you want to ensure that um, you have systems in place, your business starts to run without you, you've uh, got all your standard operating procedures down, plus you're always optimizing for profit in your business. So that's making sure that you've got your pricing correct. You've got a team that knows what to sell. Or if you don't have a team, you're making sure that you're, you know, you're pricing your services correctly and you're constantly thinking of other value adds that you, know, you, can, you can offer as part of your, your services to, to really maintain a really, really good margin. So I think that's really, really important. And then when you start to work backwards, um, really important that we ensure that everything's documented because that's one of the key things there. And eventually walking away from the business yourself. You want to make sure that it runs without you because when it comes to selling, it's your, your EBIT. And also what buyers love to see is the fact that the owner is not there running the day-to-day of the business. And, you know, that's what you want to work towards is working on the business, not in it. Mm, yes. And I know how challenging that feels as someone when you're first starting. It's like you, yes. you can't imagine anyone else taking those roles, right? Um, but I'm, I'm really curious because you mentioned pricing uh, your services and products properly, and then value adds. And so I'd love to kind of dig into that a little bit about yeah, how sure. we can look at our products and services um, to ensure that they're profitable. But I've also, and this is probably a little bit putting the cart before the horse, but I've also heard of businesses where their their signature offer or product isn't the thing that generates them the profit, it's the yes. add-ons. So I'd love to right. chat a little bit about that whole concept. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so let, let's, let's touch on that one first. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically... I mean, this is a really common business model. You you use a, um, well, in retail, we would use not a loss leader, but you'd use a special offer type thing, which is a low margin uh, where you don't make that much money, but you do make your monies in the upsell. So it's like um, when you when you go to the uh, electrical store or you when you go buy a TV, there's really not much margin for the retailer on the TV, but where they do make money is, hey, Mickey, do you want the five-year warranty on that? And that's where they really make their money, right? Because, you know, that's basically just a financial figure 
um, based on, you know, insurance type thing. So I think it's, depending on your business, that certainly is uh, a way to play it through, is to use something to dangle the carrot, but provide immense value for your clients. And if you're in a service-based business, then you also know that, okay, they're going to need this, but you also know they're going to need that, that, and that to get the full experience. And that's when you can bring everything to the table. And depending on the expertise, that auxiliary services that you offer, you can charge a fantastic premium for. Mm, I love that. And, you know, I, when I first started my business, never thought of this concept. I only heard about it late much. And I want to say way later, Um, but it kind of blew my mind because I had always assumed that every product and service had to have a certain product profit margin in order to Uh be considered like successful. But in learning that, I felt like it kind of gave me a new level of flexibility. Yes. (laughs) Because it made me focus more on customer lifetime value, pardon me, Yes. <laughs> instead yeah. of that initial per- purchase. Um, so are there things we can do to improve customer lifetime value as well in terms of profitability? Yeah, 100%. So one, one thing that's really important, and this is really across all businesses, is to look at the lifetime journey of your customer through your business. And um, if you're a service-based business, it's kind of understanding So you have this product and service and where else can you take them that will provide other outcomes that's going to be beneficial to your your client or your customer? In in retail land, we all know this, you know, you're going to get a lot if they keep coming back to buy other things. And it's a lot, uh, you know, it costs you less money to keep an existing customer than it is to go out and find a new customer, right? We all know that. But um, yeah, that's what I would be recommending is understanding the way the customer will buy from you and what other services and products that you can offer and continue providing value along the way and continue to reinvent yourself and reinvent your products and services for your clients. And you can just take them along your whole journey with you, really. Yeah, I love that. Um, And I think it's something that I know myself for sure at the beginning, but a lot of people forget as we get so focused on that initial buy, it's like, I need more customers. I need more leads, but it's like, you already have a few that are either ready to buy or have bought. It's way cheaper to just invest in those relationships and, and, and those transactions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're a service-based business, obviously, hopefully you're curating an email list and you're regularly keeping contact with them. And what happens in our retail world is uh, you, as you know, loyalty programs are really, really big. And mm. that's why uh, retailers have these loyalty programs because once you've bought, once we uh, get an understanding of what you're buying and then we can market to you a lot better. And Ooh. we know that you've already bought from us. It's a high chance that uh, you like us and you will buy off us again. So let's spend more of our time focusing on how to try and get you back rather than you know a new one. And it's not discounting the, the new customers or clients as well. But uh, we need to be curating both. Mm. You know, I I never really thought about that with loyalty programs. Oh, yeah? But now that you mention it, it like it absolutely makes sense. Um, and I'd love to just because I have such very small experience mm-hmm. in this and I find it really interesting. Cool. Um, if we could chat a little bit more about loyalty programs and yeah. potential ways to keep customers coming back without hacking into our profit margins. Yeah, 100%. So um what we're doing, if possible, is trying to understand what your client or customer is buying off you. So that's the real power of a loyalty program. And then d- depending on what software you're using or depending how you're dissecting the data, it's then understanding what your client is buying off you. 
and then trying to think of other things that they would like to buy off you and just offering it to them and maybe giving them an incentive either to, to purchase. Uh, so in our retail world, we would probably give you a voucher, say, hey, Mickey. Um, so for instance, you know, you've bought some cosmetics and we've got some other cosmetics. We can give you a voucher to come in. If you come in, spend 30 bucks, we'll give you $10 off, mm. that kind of thing. But in the service-based industry as well, we can really do the same thing. We can see that if you've bought a service from us before, what's another service that we think you would use and something that would provide immense value that we could then remarket to you as well and, and offer you really. So it's, I think with, with all of this stuff as a solopreneur, sometimes a lot, sorry, a lot of the time, it's just us taking a step back mm. and have a looking, have a look at our business from on top and just see where the wheels that could be turning, we can start to start to turn. Oh yeah. You know, and I only typically see loyalty programs with like big business, right? But I think there is absolutely the potential for smaller solopreneurs to tap into that and use that, not necessarily on the same scale, but but to yes. understand their customers better and deliver better service. I think so. Solopreneurs, I think the, the key um, for us in terms of our loyalty program is, I, I believe, our email list mm. or, you know, because um, we can, most software gives us some, a bit analytics into what click-through rates are and, you know, what bit of um, copy that we sent to them has worked, et cetera. Yes. Yes. I love it. As the marketer, I'm like, oh yes. Yes. I, email list. I was going to say, yes, you know this stuff. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, the other thing I'd like to kind of dig into is uh, I have heard that there are certain ranges of profit margin that you should aim for depending on your service or your product. And I never know if they're accurate or if I yeah. should be kind of sticking to a template. And I'd, I'd love to know more about both retail, but also service, if there are some things that we can look for in terms of profit margins. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely within retail uh, and depending on the industry that you're in, there are some guidelines on what makes it profitable, um, what profit margins you should be aiming for, I beg your pardon. And that's really a function of the business that you're in. So um, somebody that's running a gift shop with a not really specialist staff, who can pay them a certain amount in terms of their wages uh, can aim for different gross margins than a specialist type retailer, for instance, a pharmacy where you're paying a pharmacist who's on a, on a higher wage bracket. And hence you need to ensure that you've got higher margins in your products to be able to, to cover all of that kind of thing. And certainly if you're in a shopping center where the rent is ginormous, then you need to make sure that you you factor that into consideration as well. So it, you really need to look at your industry and in the retail landscape and and have a look at and those figures are really readily available on um, what you should be ideally pricing your margins at. Now in terms of a service based business, I think initially if you've got, it's about looking at what other services are available in the marketplace and trying to determine how similar you are to that and pricing it accordingly. But where it really gets fun is if you start to create your own program and your own services that the market does not have, that's when it can get really, really fun for you. And you can continually try and push the envelope of the market. And, you know, you just need to test the measure with all of this stuff, as you know, and keep pushing it as high as you can go until your customers stop buying. Mm, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, I love the idea of like play of making it fun and testing, yeah. because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to mm -hmm. like make money and do the thing right the first time. 
But I think it's a misnomer because all of the big businesses are testing. That's what they do, yes. like failures data. And so I, I really appreciate exactly. that you said that because it helps me take a little bit of the pressure off my shoulders too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now the the thing I'd really like to chat about, because you've obviously run multiple businesses, you've yes. sold multiple businesses, and yes. it feels like that could be a lot of work. It feels like that ah. could be really busy, time consuming, draining, but I obviously like you're here, <laughs> you're, you've moved, you've done a bunch of stuff. And so you seem to have a really good handle on how to manage your time. Um, and yes. I'd love to know if you have any secrets or tips about how we can, you know, in, in, have a good understanding or a good managing management of our time when we're running a business. Well, I'm essentially lazy <laughs> and I'll preface that, right? So, <laughs> but sometimes laziness is good. Mm-hmm. So I think what was really, where I was really fortunate is the fact that, you know, um, my first business coach and mentors, they always um, suggested you work on the business, okay? So part of working on the business is taking a step back and and having a chat with yourself, like, what is it really all about? Why are you getting into business why do you want to do this business thing and it's great if you want to work 70 hours a week and you want to be in the you know in the shop or or in the office and you want to work hard and and make the money that's awesome but also I think you'll find most coaches will challenge you and they say well what about your life what is it you want to how do you want to live your life what do you want to do what do you want to experience what sports do you you enjoy doing you know how, how does your ideal life look like so I was very fortunate in that um, that was the conversation that Casey had with me. I was like, what are you talking about? And um, so like, so what do you want to do? So I said, well, I love to travel. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so like, let's try and set it up so you can do all that. And so really it's taking a step back, understanding what's really important for you. So now that I know these are really important, you can work backwards. And so it's fiercely working on the business so that you have systems and procedures in place so that your team know what to do, are doing what they need to do and are growing the business without you. And it's about you ensuring that the whole wheel is turning without you there from afar. And, um, you know, one of the things that we did early on uh, is, and I still do it today, is when we plan our year, we always plan our adventures first. So I always plan the holidays and, and all the fun stuff that you want to do first. And then you go back and you fit in all the other things that have to do with work. So I think, mm. I think it's really, really important that um, that first step of taking a step back and why are you in business? And it's okay if you want to work 100 hours a week, that's cool. But if you want to do something else, enjoy life. Yeah, it's really yes. important. I love that you say to plan your adventures first. I've never thought of that. It's yes. always like, the, for me, at least I've always tried to squeeze them in, <laughs> but I it's, love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a Stephen Covey idea. If you have a look, he, um, I can't remember which book, one of his books, he's talking about the big rocks and the little rocks. So in this, in this context, uh, our big rocks, you put the big rocks in first. And in, in our case, the big rocks are our adventures, our birthdays, all the important family events, all the stuff that we want to experience. And then you've got the gravel, which are all the other things. And then you've got the little rocks, which are all the stuff to do with your business. Um, and then, you know, you w- one thing that's super important, I think, is to regularly take days away from your business so you can actually plan and, you know, mastermind and work on the business. I think that's really important. But it's also really difficult for a new business owner 
or a business owner who hasn't been in contact with anyone who thinks like this to, to think about all of this. Yeah. You know, I'm curious because you do, you do a lot of coaching and consulting. Yeah. Um, and so if you were to have, I'm going to give you an example scenario and no. pretend it's not me. Um, okay. if, you were to no. have a, <laughs> if you were to have a really busy business owner who is in the grind, doing the things, working lots of hours and working primarily in the business, but yes. cash flow and profitability are not stable at this point. No. It's very, it's variable. They haven't been tracking. They don't really know what makes them money, but they do want to change the way things are working. They want to be able to plan the adventures first. They want to be able to set the business up for success. What would you have them do first? Okay. The first thing I would do is that planning of taking a step back and just really figuring out what we want out of the business, Mm. what we want this business to provide for us. The second thing that we would do is we would do a fun time audit on ourselves. I like uh, have you heard about this? Have you done no, this? No, I no, I have not. Oh, this is great fun. So basically for a week, I get my uh, my clients to write everything down. Mm. So what is it that's consuming your time? And this is from getting up and, you know, going to the gym or not going to the gym and then getting to work. And then when you get to work, I check my email and then I download this, I do that, or I speak to this supplier. Anyway, we, we do a time audit while you're at work for the day. And that's really important because... Once we have a look at our time audit, we can then look at which of these are draining ourselves. So it's looking at what are you excited about doing while you're in work or at work and whatever you're not excited, whatever doesn't excite you or energize you, let's look at offloading that to someone else that can do it for us. Mm. Um, And then after that, we start to look at our business. And there are three main components that we work on in your business. The first thing is to look at the visibility of the numbers in our business because none of the strategies that uh, we are going to employ in our business to improve our cash flow and profit, then really we're not going to know how they're working if we've got no way of knowing how they're working. So what I love to work on is the visibility of the numbers in our business. And that's things like setting up KPIs, tracking our cash flow, all that kind of thing. The next thing we work on is flushing our bank account with cash so that's just setting up some really simple steps on, um, for instance, optimizing our expenses. Um, also, a me- looking at a metric within our business, and all businesses have this, which is our average sale per client or average sale per customer, average dollar sale, just understanding what that is. So then we can start to really drive that forward. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, Yeah. And the last piece is we look at our profits. So we look at the way we try and understand what our margins are, if we can raise our margins, how we can manage our profit in the business. And if you have the team, if you have a team, one of the things that I really love to work with is to really use our team to drive profitability. Because at the end of the day, I would, I, I don't want the business owner, I don't want the business to be reliant on the business owner to drive profits. If we have a team, let's use them and let's make sure that we're training them and making sure that they're aware that these are the guys that are going to be driving our business. Mm, I love that. I love that. Make roles revenue generating, whatever possible. Yes. Oh, that's Absolutely. great advice. Um, mm. And you know what? I'm, I'm curious because you talked a lot about the knowing your numbers, yes. um, tracking KPIs. And so for that business owner who's maybe not been doing a good job of tracking or maybe just doing their monthly bookkeeping and seeing their profit and loss, and that's mm. it. Mm. What would be the key like starter KPIs you would have them start to analyze or look at? 
Yeah, okay. So we were just looking, and this is a basic KPI, mm -hmm. which I've already mentioned, which is our average sale per client, uh, average dollar sale, average unit sale. That's one thing that I would be definitely be tracking. And the next one is looking at what margins are we making? So, you know, how much, how we, how are we pricing our products and services? Because, and this generally doesn't happen in a service-based industry, but definitely in retail land, um, you know, we ended up, we end up selling things at a really low margin because unfortunately in the retail landscape, there's this thing called discounting, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is great for the consumer. Uh, and a lot of the big retailers do it. But if, you know, if we're a high street shop or a mom and pop shop or a small shop, um, discounting can really, really hurt us. And so it's really important that we are aware of our margins. Unfortunately, a lot of retailers don't know what their margins are. So they're, mm. they're selling things and they think they're doing well, but they're really selling them at a loss or close to a loss once you start to look at your operating costs. But KPIs, I think, are um, essential. They're different for every business, but those are the main ones. And I think the key thing I want to say about KPIs, Mickey, is I, as business owners, if we go down the KPI road, we're either scared of them because we, um, we don't know how to, how to do them or, or we overcomplicate it and we have too many. Mm. I think for most businesses, five to six is the magic sweet spot, five to six. And I think it's really important. You've got to be able to track it on a piece of paper. Like it's got to be... Um, it's going to be something that we can see and write down on a weekly basis. Again, um, software is good. And I think if you have, um, if you have the ability to, to use software, there are lots of great KPI software out there, but I think just, just on the back of a, you know, a clean piece of paper, tracking it weekly is super important. You know, I, I love that because first and foremost, the, I know the complicated stuff typically gets pushed away at least for me, right? If it feels like it's yeah, going to yeah. be hard or challenging or complicated, <laughs> I'm going to procrastinate. And if I'm trying right. to do something more often that I already don't want to do, I, I love that you say, make it simple and do it on a weekly basis. That feels just so much more accessible, at least for me. hundred percent. I think as business owners, we're really good at overcomplicating things. And, um, one of my skills is to keep it simple. So I like it because I'm essentially lazy, like I keep telling you. So if we can drill things down into something that's easy to do, easy to track and easy to visualize and see, it's going to get done a lot quicker, obviously, and it's going to get done. And it's just so much easier to make, make decisions when it's really, really simple. So Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was hiring team and mm. primarily outsourcing, not necessarily bringing yeah. in in-house, because I know that that's obviously that's necessary for most retail businesses. You need people in-house doing things, but for, for at least me, I'm going to be selfish here and, and focus on myself. If I'm looking okay. at hiring or outsourcing people to take those tasks that I don't love, the easy yes. button feels like I'm just going to hire a VA and give them everything okay. <laughs> and let it go. Is that the right thing to do? How should we look at starting to outsource those tasks that we don't love? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is to, to do a brain dump and, or, or a time audit is to write everything down. And then what, what I recommend is trying to block tasks together. And hopefully you'll, uh, in whatever line of business you're in, you'll be able to understand like, okay, you can hopefully try and put them into little buckets. Like, oh, this is more, you know, more SEO or website type stuff. Or over here, I might probably need something like a specialist, like a copywriter, 
or if you're using a particular software, you might need a particular coder. So I think the first step is writing everything down and then trying to put them into buckets. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be very challenging, in my experience anyway, to find someone that can do everything. But I think if you break it up into three or four different roles or depending on the, your business, and we're so lucky now in that the VA market is um, readily accessible and we can you know, quite easily get a team that can help us do all these particular tasks. And we just need to be really specific in what we want done. I think that's really, really important. And if we, as the owner, take the time to really think about and write down, more importantly, the steps on what we want done so we can properly explain it to uh, our VA, uh, it's just going to make it so much easier for us. Yeah, I love that. I think sometimes we we assume that one person should be able to do everything that we do. <laughs> we, yeah. we make it yeah, we make it seem like we can do everything so well that someone else should be able to do it, but maybe we're not actually doing it that well in the first yes. place. <laughs> Especially if you're a solopreneur because you know, there's so many aspects. I mean, you're running a website, you've probably got other software associated with it and and you'll find very quickly if you go to the, the VA market and try and get someone to do everything, you'll find they won't really do a good job because mm. it's just really difficult. It's everything's so specialized now. So, mm. yeah. Now, the other thing related to this topic when it comes to hiring and outsourcing is profitability, because I, I've been, I've heard the advice, like just hire the VA, just hire an outsource. And with that time, you'll make enough to cover it. But that feels pretty ambiguous. <laughs> So when we're projecting, we're looking at our cash flow and we're starting to plan outsourcing, is there anything we can do to ensure that when we do hire these people and take on this new expense, that we're still profiting and still managing cash flow well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's also going back to uh, our list of things that need to get done. Mm -hmm. And hopefully as a business owner, you're going to be in, in initial phases anyway, as a solopreneur you're going to be focusing on the tasks and activities that are really going to be driving profit. Mm. So hopefully by your VA taking those other tasks away from you, you are going to be doing the, the meat and potato stuff that's really going to be driving your business forward. And so that's where it becomes really, really important. So you can't sort of hire a VA and take a step back uh, in the beginning anyway. Uh, you, you really need to be making sure that you're working on things that are going to improve your profitability and driving really driving profit home. That's the really important thing. And then after that, we can look at replacing you with another person to be doing that same task. But really, it, it needs to be it needs to be at the same time, the outsourcing and also the driving through of the profit as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I can see in looking at it that way, having that cash flow spreadsheet and being able to look at how money's coming in and out would be able yes. to help me project and play around with those numbers. How much can I outsource? Can I outsource at all? Exactly. Where should I prioritize? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You can look at the ebbs and flows very, very easily through that spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm paying myself with my profits, so I'm finally starting to accrue some money in my business. Look at me right. doing a good job. And I want to start yeah. to obviously pay myself more. What is there a strategy or some sort of a perspective or, or maybe a tip you have when it comes to how much we should be paying ourselves versus keeping in our business? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is something that I work on in the retail landscape as well. Um, but for everybody, and this is not my work, there's uh, many of us, you probably heard of the profit first system. Mm -hmm. Great. So I, I encourage all business owners to employ Mike's system. He's 
he's distilled the information in a proper way that makes it really, really easy. And basically, it's about putting a percentage based on your revenue aside into different buckets. And it just makes everything a lot easier. You know how much you're going to be taking out. You're going to, that way, if you follow that system, and I would encourage you to look into it, you're not going to take out too much. Um, but it's a percentage-based system is the easiest way to explain it in a in a podcast. And, yeah. and you know, that's that's his proprietary system. He's He really explains it really well, so... Yeah, no, I love it. Sorry. I'll give him a second to get out of here. The microphone normally takes it out. Sorry. Cool. Okay. Okay. Um, when we're thinking about the profit first system, I know uh, it gives you a bunch of different ranges based on your revenue generation. And, right. and I know for me, opening up a whole bunch of different bank accounts felt overwhelming at first, but once I yeah. did it, it was like, oh no, this, this makes sense because I'm separating things. So I actually can't touch them and it's automated. So when we're looking at, um, tracking all of the money from all of these bank accounts into your spreadsheet, do you have any tips on how to simplify the process? Um, because yeah, for- so I- yeah, I think the, the, so the way we set up the spreadsheet is super simple. It's just cash coming in and cash going out. Mm-hmm. So in the cash going out section, uh, you know, where you would normally put your expenses and that's when you would put the other bank accounts or the buckets. Um, and typically when I, I have that as the final um, entry at the bottom of my spreadsheet and, you know, I'll, I'll put uh, a label like profit, uh, operating costs and the percentages that goes out. So you still want to track it on that spreadsheet. It's really important because that's obviously the flow of cash for your business. But that that's it's really that's all it is. Oh, yeah. We shouldn't okay. uh, we shouldn't overcomplicate it because it's just another line entry. Think of it like an expense that mm-hmm. you're paying. You're paying it out of your bank account because that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the flow of cash through your business, and the cash is flowing out, even though it's going into a bank account that you can't touch. It's still flowing out. Mm, yeah. I was overcomplicating it in my brain already. (laughs) That's just the way we go. Um, Final question that I love to pose uh, all of my guests. Um, So you've got this group, uh, this audience of solopreneurs who are hustling. They are doing the things. They are working hard, um, but they're ready to make a change. They're ready to start increasing their profit margins, enjoying their life a a bit more, kind of ditching that hustle what's the one piece of advice or um, lesson that you would like to share with them? Yes. I think um, for me, it, it really all made sense once I really took a step back and worked on what was really important for me in living my life. What does a happy life for me look like? And it sounds a bit woo-woo, um, but really, it's it's essentially understanding your values, what drives you, what's going to make you happy, because I think that's what life is all about anyway. It's like, you know, what's going to make you the, the happiest? How are you going to be happy as you, trans, you know, travel on this journey from, you know, zero to 85 or whatever it might be? And the sooner you understand that and the sooner then you can start to design your life around that. And I think that's the really important thing. It's got nothing to do with business strategy. Yeah. Like, I love it though, because we forget right, about it. it. Yeah. About you. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, why do we build our businesses, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. amazing. Alvin, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, for the listeners who want to learn more about you and your services, where can they find you online? Sure. The easiest way to find me is on Facebook. Just search for me, Alvin Nasi. Send me a message. Uh, yeah. And we can just continue the conversation there. Amazing. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That was really good fun. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.